Welcome to the Digital Transformation of Business podcast, brought to you by Hughes On. Well, here we are, episode number three, and I wanted to welcome you back. Uh, you know, digital transformation. Digital transformation has a lot of tentacles. It has a lot of arms. We've talked about a lot of really cool things. But one of the things we wanted to talk about this time is how can you build a culture of success, whether it is around the digital transformation of your organization or just simply so that you can have a great place to work. You know, culture of success. Chuck, what does culture of success mean to you? Well, culture means a lot of things, I think. And I think right now everybody's talking about how to improve your culture, your work environment. And for a while it was that let's get a ping pong table for the lobby, let's paint our walls, let's let people take off their shoes and and color their hair purple, do whatever they want kind of thing. I think that's evolved and matured into something far more important that does absolutely point to success more than maybe the ping pong table, which had its purpose. But when it comes to being successful as a business, everybody wins. And I always say that. If the business wins, the employees and the customers, we all win together and we all have a more secure existence within the, the company. Well, yeah. I mean, Tip, you had a, a great blog post about this a, a little while ago that was uh, you know, the, right at the top of the article. You talked about uh, a quote you heard from Kevin Cruz, right? And it says, I'm just going to read it. It's, it's, he wrote an article, uh, first part of 2017, and his 20-word sentence was, people give loyalty and discretionary effort to those who foster growth, show appreciation, share a compelling vision, and are trustworthy. You know, I mean, I don't know how else to define a culture of success if that's not a critical part. Absolutely. No, no, no. I think, um, uh, you know, you, you've got to, to do so many things uh, celebrating success. Um, culture of success for me, um, depending on your industry, uh, it, it, obviously it's employees. It's, it's an obvious employee, but I think it also spreads out to your customers. I think you need to celebrate things with your customers and with your employees and building this, uh, you know, trust, um, you know, communication is critical to trust. Uh, but I, I, I think a culture of success is you come into work and you know that you've got hard things to do. You've got challenges, problems are going to occur, but that you're in a team. Uh, and, and the ideal customer relationship obviously is one where something breaks or something doesn't work right or something's wrong it's not this accusatory you got to get over here you sold me this it's hey we're having a problem and it's with your stuff and we get together and we fix it i that's that's a culture of success for me there's other there's other examples too like walter riston the former chairman of uh of uh Citigroup, this was also in your blog post it says capital goes where it's welcome and stays where it's well treated yes Oh, and absolutely. Yeah. <laughs> it's a uh, great quote. I sometimes slip and say, or where it's appreciated. But, and capital means dollars and capital means people. Right. I think success is this jigsaw puzzle of pieces. Now, money is one of those pieces. It might be the biggest piece. It might be the most focused on piece. It might be the piece that we, we look at the most. But there are all these other pieces about employee satisfaction, customer satisfaction, um, and, and everything that goes into that. Oh, uh, you listen, money is, is always going to be a factor, but if it is the number one factor, you lose. Okay. This is, this is what I tell, this is what I tell people all the time. 
um, there will always be somebody who gets paid more than you. Same job, same talent base, same education as you. There will always be somebody who gets paid more than you. Okay, so you need to look at pay. You need to look at money as a component because we all have bills to pay. We have families to raise and we have things to do. But you have to look at this. Your your jigsaw example is a is a great one, Chuck. You have to look at the table and say, okay, um, this piece is smaller here, uh, but I have the other thing over here that's bigger. You know, the people there. Oh my goodness, I can't, I can't wait to go to work with them. They they work together and in collaboration so well. Whereas over here, I might get paid a little more, but it's very siloed and very, you know, different. Um, and so you have to sit down, you have to look at, at so many, so many different pieces of that. And as a company, our culture has to be the thing that differentiates us because money, you know, it's a finite resource. You only have so much. You can only go so high. And I just, I don't want it to come down to I'm leaving in fact, as, as a person who has led people for many, many years, if somebody leaves and says, you know, XYZ company is offering me more money, I take it as a complete failure on my part, complete failure on my part. For not, I didn't bring them in. I didn't get them involved in the culture well enough. Well, and that's, again, I mean, I, I, this is one of my favorite blog posts you ever wrote, and I keep referencing it, but it's, you know, quoting the great Richard Branson that says, um, Train your people so they can leave, but treat them so they don't want to. That's it right there. That's it right there. If they, you know, again, one of the keys to a culture of success in, in, on the employee side is investing in the employee. Give them a chance to be better this year than they were last year, and you help them get there. Um, you know, again, going back and talking about money and things, I had a friend call me. Her daughter was going in for her one-year re uh, uh, interview. She'd been with the company for a year. And she said, what, what do we, you know, what should she talk about? Because her raise will be based on this interview. And I told her, I said, it's very, very simple. The fact that you've been there for a year equates to no increase. The fact that you can do something that you couldn't do a year ago or three somethings or five somethings that you couldn't do a year ago, that's why you're more valuable, therefore worth more, of, you know, more paycheck. Um, and so... If I'm offering you the chance to enhance and, and, and grow your skills, by definition, I'm making you more valuable, and by definition, you will continue to grow and enhance. Um, but at the same time, uh, you know, the, that cultural aspect of, I like it here. They're making me better. Yeah. I mean, I can tell you from being of the three of us, the one that joined Hughes the most recently, um, when I was making that decision to leave where I was, I was very comfortable there. I'd been there for seven, eight years you know, and when I approached him and told him that I had been offered a position here at Hughes, um, he just, he promised me the world, you know, he had, he put together this big proposal to, you know, to why I need to stay, you know, and every single piece of it was related to money. There was no part of it how I was contributing to the greater good and how I needed to stay in the organization because I was, I had done so much and I needed to continue to stay and here's how we're going to enable you to do that. It's all about money. In fact, he even offered me more money than was it being offered to me here. But it was, it was, I felt like the move to here was the culture here was one where it was, it was a culture of learning, a culture of growth, and a culture of opportunity. And that was, that was the main thing that precipitated my decision. But that's not to say that the paycheck is unimportant. Of course, the paycheck, yeah, I mean, exactly. the salary is yeah. uh, 
very, very important, and it needs to be competitive. But it's not the only factor. It's not the only piece of that personal puzzle of that individual. Yeah, I think, you know, and it's different for every individual, but you're going to get to a point in your career where, you you know, you've got the bases covered. We always want to earn more. We are, you know, we have kids that we want to send to college, and we want to have, um, you know, uh, life after work, and we want to be able to do different things. But once you once you cross a certain threshold, it really can become far more about the job than about the paycheck, or you know, on top of that. Um, and and I've been fortunate in my career um, that that I, I I'm in that I'm in that situation where I can say, hey, is this something I enjoy? Are these people I want to come to work with every day? And, you know, that makes it easy. That just makes it easy. The fact that, um, that the, the paycheck is where it is is, is, is great. Um, but, and, and that changes, too, over time, right? Young, young families or, or, or uh, people just getting started in their career who haven't bought their first home yet or who, you know, haven't purchased a car and some things like that, they've got some real, you know, very, very real considerations that are dollar and cents centric, and I don't discount those for a second. But gosh, I would, I would hate to go to work every day somewhere that paid better than the others but where I was miserable. I, I, can't, I can't fathom that. What does the physical environment of the workplace, how does that contribute to a culture of success? Now, I'm a designer. That's my background. That's my education. I like good design. That includes environmental design and, and, and my surroundings. I like them to be you know, well lit in the right way. And I like my work environment to, to be comfortable. But what is the building? What is the break room and the cubicle and or office? What role does all of that play in this culture of success? You know, I'm, I, I, I was just going to say, you know, to me, it's where it's an I don't really know. I don't really care what the overall structure of the office looks like, but rather it's an area where they're where people feel like they're able to collaborate openly. One of the things I love about where I sit is not the fact that I'm two cubicles away from you, Chuck, but rather it's the ability that you and I can walk out in the hallway, stand up next to a whiteboard like we did this morning and come together to, on a decision. You know, it's it's the having the resources, the places, the opportunities to be able to sit and chat and grow. The office uh, design is a very hot topic right now. You go on YouTube, there is a whole um, series of things called tech cribs where they go around and look at different tech companies and how they've organized and the coolness and this and that and the other. For me, uh, there, there is a hierarchy of needs when it comes to an office. Uh, first of all, it has to be safe. I don't care if you've got the Taj Mahal on the inside. If I don't feel safe walking in and out of the parking lot, that's a problem. Second of all, it has to be clean. Um, if you don't have, you know, somebody who comes and empties the trash cans every night and keeps the break room cleaned up and neat and everything like that, I don't care, again, how fancy it is. If it's, if it's not clean, it's a problem. Then you start getting into the more, okay, you know, budget dollars, design ideas, uh, true values. Curtis, what you said I think is, is important. I think it needs to lead to collaboration. Um, I think that one of the key one of the key arguments right now going on in the design office design space is around the cubicle wall versus no cubicle wall in your open spaces. Um, is it are you 
more collaborative and better served you know if you have a desk and your colleagues are you know five or six feet away but there's no wall in between or not and I think you can find as many articles for as you can against and maybe it just comes down to somebody's personal preference or so on and so forth when you have a very open environment you see people starting to put headphones on because that's how they can close themselves in and focus when they need to close themselves in well and I was gonna say on that same point is you know without a good culture it doesn't matter if you have cubicle walls or everybody has their own office if people don't feel safe to talk to their their coworkers, what good is an open open air policy good for I mean I remember couple of years ago, I went to go visit a company and uh, you walk into their office and it looked literally like an open air warehouse, you know, and all of a sudden you walk around one corner and there's a bunch of people, but they're all in stand up desks that can be rolled around, hmm. you know, and the CEO was right in the middle of that mix. He brought his desk and he met and he sat, you know, with his people and it was brilliant. I mean, I thought it was cool, but at the same time, Imagine how toxic that would be if there was no culture there in the organization. They were all scattered out to the wall, facing yeah. <laughs> away from each other, right? Yeah. yeah. Now, good for him for, for doing that. If I were the CEO, I'd probably be behind a door. That's my personal preference. So I think that comes down to different types of personalities and, and, and what works. And I think all of this, everything we're talking about, comes down to form meets function. And good design is both. It's both functional, but it's also aesthetically pleasing and it's nice to be around i was just you know again i have this battle on a on a regular basis you know i have i have a nice office and uh i feel frequently like you know i should just get out amongst the team and you know when i have to have those interviews or i have to have private conversations i can use a conference room you know in fact turn my office into a conference room um but then i i sit back and i realize that through the course of the day I would wind up going back into the conference room about six hours out of eight. And, and, that, that, and that's where, me personally, that's where I balance it because I do have several um, leader friends who their desk is right out amongst the team and they just have a, a significant number of conferences. Not every conference room holds 12 people. You know, there's conference rooms that literally only hold two people. And their their sole purpose is, I need to have this private conversation for whatever reason. Could be two coworkers. They just want to, you know, have a private conversation they go in and use the room. Well, yeah, and I mean, I, I, I've seen that with other companies, but on that one that I referenced, they had these areas where it was like floor-to-ceiling glass walls that with a door that was glass, and if they felt like they needed to do something, you know, that no one else needed to hear, whether it was a private conversation or, a, uh, you know, a, a moment where the CEO had to correct somebody or something like that, they, pulled, they may pull them in there. You can still see what they're doing from a bodily movement standpoint, but they're able to seclude themselves temporarily, but then they come right back out. And so they called those things the phone booth. They went in and had a conversation, and then they came back out. Uh, Chuck, I'll come back to you and your design background because I think you can overcome a lot with artwork, with um, wall decorations and things like that. You can, you know, we, we went through not too long ago here, and, and we put a lot of whiteboard up so that we could encourage people to step out of their cubes and have design discussions together. And the idea was similar to what I understand happens on the Google campus. A lot of times those ideas stay up for, for days and it's not uncommon for somebody who wasn't in the original discussion to come along and say, hey, here's an idea you might have thought of, you know, might not have thought of. So I, I like that, but I don't know. What do you think from, from your design background? That's kind of a tough one, but 
I think design, and this is something I want to talk about in, f- in a future podcast episode, but design really needs to be functional. It also needs to be aesthetic. And that's something that a lot of people don't quite understand about design. So if something looks really great, let's say a chair, a chair looks awesome. We all want that chair. We love that chair. But when any one of us sits in that chair, it hurts our back and we don't want to sit in it ever again. That's poor design. It might be nice aesthetics, poor design because the functionality of that is terrible. So I think that applies to the office as well. I think it's a a combination of a lot of things that go into a really great work environment and not the least of which would be the people and how they communicate with each other, how they are arranged and how they can uh, interact with each other. We, we have the unique opportunity to work with a lot of retailers, right? We've done exhaustive studies to find out that, uh, you know, when somebody doesn't feel entrenched in the organization, they're that much more likely to leave. You know, going back to Richard Branson's quote, you know, train them so they can, but train them so they don't want to. One of the re- uh, industries you work with is retail, right? One of the industries with the highest level of turnover. So I want to kind of have a brief little minute discussion about how can an industry that's plagued with such a high rate of turnover also build a, cu- a culture of success? It, it'll always come back to me. It'll always come back to communication. If I come to work, and honestly, I don't care if you're an associate at a store or you're an engineer at a software technology company. If you come to work every day, do your thing and go home, and all you know about the organization is what you hear in the hallway or from your table next to you, cubicle next to you. You don't have a good culture. You don't have a, you're not entrenched. You're not bought in. You need to hear from the CEO, from the VP of IT, from the leader of the engineering team. You need to hear from them on some sort of routine cadence. Depending on the organization, CEO, you know, Marvin Ellison, former CEO, J.C. Penney, current CEO at Lowe's, he likes to speak to the store managers on a weekly basis. I think that's pretty awesome that the CEO sets aside that much time every week and talks to those people. Um, I think that the CEO should talk to the entire organization at least twice a year. I think that, that that should be a requirement because what that allows you to do is to say, you know what, Mike, you come to work every day and you keep our men's shoe department looking great and we appreciate that that's one thing second thing is you know what by having a clean well-functioning men's shoe department we're going to meet our shoe department sales quotas or goals which is which means we're going to meet it the goals for the store which means we're going to meet it for the region which means we're going to meet it for the district which means we're going to meet it for the company okay if you don't do the things that you know and we've trained you to do somebody else is going to have to make up that difference and you don't want that this is how your contribution every day rolls up to matter more than just that it looks nice here at store one, two, three in the men's shoe department. And I think engineers want to hear that just as much as anybody else. The software piece that you're working on is part of this, which is part of this, which is critical to, to our company's success. When the economy is really good and there are a lot of jobs out there, that's when the organization really needs to step up. And we've heard that a few years ago when the economy and the job market wasn't so great that the emphasis was really on let's make the customer happy forget about the employee they're getting a paycheck we've taken care of them let's worry about the customer and we've seen in recent years the last just few years that the the emphasis the focus is really turned to we need to make the employee happy and everything else will fall into place 
There's a billboard out on the highway right down the road here from us that says our customers are happy because our employees are happy. I don't know the name of the company, nope. to be honest, but I see it every day. Our customers are happy because our employees are happy. I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. M Mike, you and I have been to dozens of conferences over the last several years that I've been here. And, you know, we've seen that trend show its face over and over and over again to where, you know, it's all about customer service. The customer's always right. doesn't matter. You know, employee can, jump, you know, fall on a grenade. It doesn't matter. Customer's always right. That precept may still be true, but we're now seeing a much bigger focus on the employee, you know, to where better customer experiences start with the employee, whether it's through training, communication, through employee benefits, through workplace environment, through how happy they are. Yeah, I, so coming back to the, you know, the premise of this particular episode, creating a culture of success, and then also, you know, the premise of our, of our podcast series about digital transformation and the impact that it has on business, I think we are facing a time when um, there is constant change, whether it's driven by, you know, digital transformations, and we have to make sure that people are engaged, involved, comfortable, and participating in this change. So, so when we bring change, when we bring a transformative item to the to the employee base, they're bought in. You know, our culture is okay. We're in. Let's get this done. This is a new challenge, a new opportunity. Let's go after it. Let's make it happen. Rather than, oh, look, you know, here's another thing they're they're making us do. You know, it is no. We've communicated with you. You understand our goals, our vision, our objectives here. You've had a chance to comment on it. Maybe you've had a chance to give us feedback on it. But here's why this change is going to be important to our business. Let's all get on board together. I think the nature of the beast is that certain jobs, certain businesses are going to have high turnover kind of no matter what. The culture can go a long way in helping that and improving those statistics. At the end of the day, some jobs are... Uh, really kind of centered to the the transient student or the uh, the teenager who's going to um, go off to college or um, these types of of employees and that's that's okay but at the end of the day when your employee might go down the street for a nickel an hour more you know culture all of a sudden is extremely important yeah i i just i think you you you, you hit it right on the head there and that is you know the more <clears throat> I said it earlier in the podcast, if somebody leaves our team and they say, yeah, so-and-so's offering me more money, I feel it's a personal failure. I'll be candid if somebody leaves and says, I'm being given an opportunity to be a leader or to do something over there that is not available to them right now. I have to be honest, I, I wish them the best because it's a good thing. Uh, I hope that the team environment that they had here uh, maybe gives them some ideas on things that they can spread and they can they can do in their new role. And this part of what got me thinking this was your comment about certain jobs, you know, they're not designed to be lifetime career jobs and things, but yet creating a culture even in those environments is critical because you're setting a foundation of expectation with a workforce, whether it's a young workforce or a transient workforce, you know, expect this. From, because even at frontline minimum wage jobs, these things are important. And then when you go into a more career-centric job, it's just that much more important. Yeah, I was just going to follow that up with a couple of key points that I've noticed just from having uh, a couple of things that I've been able to experience recently. And 
you know, back in January when we uh, went back to the mothership and we got to participate in Engineering Day. That was, I thought that was amazing. Granted, I understood about 1% of everything that was being <laughs> told to me while I was there. Um, outside of the word, hi, my name is, I understood that part. But those, I can't imagine how much those engineers appreciated that opportunity to kind of showcase what they've been doing because they're, they're delivering innovations to the market and being an opportunity to be kind of put up on a pedestal, right? And they're that much more, that, that much more excited now that they know that the entire organization, for the most part, is probably bought into what they're doing. And, you know, that same thing can be taken down several notches. I mean, en- an engineer is probably, you know, 20 years more experienced than, say, your average everyday frontline associate in a, at a retail store. But then you then take that same model and you, you extrapolate it to somebody who has worked in retail for 10, 15 years. You know, I take that example of the guy that was selling hiking boots and camping backpacks at REI. You know, he had a beard down to the middle of his chest. And he, you know, was one of those people that says, I'm not going to sell a hiking boot that I haven't tried myself. He'll take that hiking boot and he'll go field test it so that he can speak from own experience. And he says, yeah, I actually went and hiked Rainier six weeks ago in these boots and they were great. But be careful, they pinch on the, they pinch on the back heel. How much more likely are you not only to trust that person, that person has the desire to grow because they have that culture to where they're recognized and they're celebrated for their desire to learn more and to grow within the organization. And things like that are permitted by the organization. All too often, it's the tendency of leadership to say, "No, no, no, don't, don't put that on. Don't try that on. You're, you work here. You're not a customer. You know, don't take that pair of hiking boots outside. Don't get it dirty." Um, but a, an organization that allows that freedom of their associates, even their uh, frontline hourly associates, the freedom to to try things and do things that they know will benefit the customer and in turn benefit the organization. That's kind of the, the, the way of the future, I think. Yeah, you know, it's funny. It's, it's Recently I was at a Sonic, not going to name locations, but I was at a Sonic and saw all these commercials for a pickle juice slush. And I, for one, hate pickles, so I wouldn't be tempted to order it. <laughs> but my daughter, on the other hand, uh, loves pickles. It was a, it was a drink, like an icy drink. An icy drink that was made out of pickle juice. Wow! And my daughter rolled down her window and asked the guy, the Sonic guy, who comes and brings your drink to the car. We'd already ordered our drinks, and and my daughter said, "I want to try it." And I said, "I really think you should probably think twice about this because one, I might throw up in the car, but two, she just rolled down her window, asked the guy at Sonic, says, "Hey." do you have the new pickle juice slushy? And he goes, yes. And she goes, is it gross? And he goes, it's horrible. <laughs> you know, and nothing made me smile outside the fact that one, I wouldn't have to buy it for my daughter and smell it. But two, that he had the, you know, the honesty. He wanted to tell this person that it's disgusting, <laughs> you know, and, but, you know, he could have said, sure, I've, you know, I, you know, those people would say, what's the best thing on your menu? Or like, oh, I like all of it. And you, sometimes you go to a restaurant and you say, what's the best thing on your menu? And you can look and they're handpicking the most expensive things on the menu that they're their favorites because they're going to get the biggest tip, they're going to get the biggest percentage. But I can always appreciate those people that are brutally honest with you and are willing to say, no, that drink, it's terrible. Don't do it. It's going to be a mistake. We talk a lot about empowering employees. And what does that mean? I mean, there's so many definitions of that. But really, to me, it means giving them the opportunity to A, be honest. And then in this example, if you go a step further, if he would have gotten a little tiny cup and filled it up with that pickle juice slushy and given it to your daughter for free as a little taste without the fear of being reprimanded or written up or slapped on the wrist, that would have gone a long way for me if my child was uh, in that car having that experience. I'd want to go back because he made that moment for, for what? The, the two pennies worth of juice coming out of a machine? It cost him nothing. 
Because the fact you're talking about is making my stomach want to turn. (laughs) Well, listen, before we get too far off into the weeds of what Curtis and his daughter like and don't like, um, you know, let's summarize this by saying um, culture is critical. Okay, Uh, you know, if you're going to deal with change, if you're going to deal with, um, you know, transformation in your business, you've got to have a culture of support and of recognition and of uh, honesty and communication and trustworthy leadership and all these things. And I think a great uh, a great conversation has happened here about the different types of cultures and things that we've seen. So we appreciate you listening in and we look forward to any of your comments and ideas. Thanks a lot and have a great day.